Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. And today's a part two on the theme of brokenness, God's strange pathway to greatness. Brokenness, God's strange pathway to greatness. Actually, I could say brokenness, weakness, vulnerability is God's strange pathway. It is really strange. I mean, it's a large theme uh, in the life of Jesus, in his preaching and teaching and life. That is no pretending, you know, no image management. Uh, you know, showy religion does not impress Jesus, uh, for it uses the good things of God for its own honor, its own advancement. And the places like Matthew 23, you know, Jesus just goes right after a, a life of pretending or pretense uh, with a desire that other people would notice and might think a certain way about us. And so, you know, Lord, begin with begin with me. Uh, you know, it's one of the things I believe that God very much in these days is cleansing his temple, you know, globally of uh, image management pretense. And so this this theme of brokenness and vulnerability and weakness really came, came really, God brought it to my life in 1996 in my whole journey that uh, of emotionally healthy uh, discipleship. And it was my own, it was, a, it was at the bottom, uh, God finally grabbing my attention that I would say I just, out of a place of such failure, uh, uh, having to face and confront myself, uh, broke and allowed myself to be human and weak. And instead of blaming uh, my many problems in life on whether it be Jerry or the church or daughters or New York City or being a leader, I finally looked at myself much more fully. and it was painful. It was liberating. Uh, and I remember soon after this journey began, I just, in 96, going to my first AA meeting uh, with a friend and in a very broken basement of a church. Uh, and while my addiction of choice is not, uh, you know, drugs or alcohol, uh, I'm an, I'm an own, I'm my own addict to sin. I believe we all are. It's a nice image and powerless without God. And I just felt so at home at the rawness of it. And I've been going for over two decades so occasionally to meetings with friends, especially to anniversaries. And I just love being there. It's everything to me a, a church is meant to be. And that is just broken people, uh, in a raw way. And so, uh, you know, I, again, I, as I mentioned in part one, I, I spent the early years of leadership preparing as best I could, you know, going to grad school and getting skills and experience and learning all about leadership. And But the it left out, the preparation left out one critical ingredient, especially in Christian leadership, because Christian leadership, as Jesus made very clear, is different than secular leadership. And, and one of the ways that is essentially different is that we're, we come out of a place of brokenness and weakness and understand that his power rests uh, in our weakness, not in our strength, and uh, that's where spiritual authority flows from. And you know, I, 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 per- my first seventeen years in Christ, I didn't fully get it. It's not something we talk about a lot. So, emotionally healthy discipleship or leadership—it's a culture. And so, if you've taken a look at the discipleship course, for example, that uh, it's bringing into the church a, a culture. Uh, yes, there's content like learning rhythms of Sabbath and silence and solitude and grief and loss and doing a genogram, learning skills uh, about how your family of origins impacted who you are today. But it's meant to break you. It, it level us all in the same place. And uh, 
it's it's a it's a life and so brokenness and weakness and vulnerability is not the words that are necessarily used but that is really part of the a core of the culture of what's being created so that we're not seeing ourselves as over and above anybody else and so again if you've not looked at even for example the at our website emotionally healthy.org please go to it and there's a personal assessment on that front page uh, or early on you can find uh, on our website take it and find out if you're an emotional infant adolescent child or adult there's a nice little section there section there on on your level of brokenness and vulnerability so again it's a strange pathway to leadership and today i want to share with you in this part too in particular david uh david king david's leadership and life out of Psalm 51. It is probably the text that has so helped me resist the lure and seduction that surrounds me on a daily basis uh, and to move and, and ground myself basically in, in scripture, this countercultural, radical, out of this world understanding of leadership. Now, the Psalms is the center of the Bible. It's the most popular book of the Bible. It's quoted in the New Testament more than any other book. It's got 150 songs in it. Uh, and it's actually been the worship book for generations. It covers almost a thousand years of history. And it was these, these 150 songs were, were written for future generations like us here thousands of years later. 73 of these Psalms were written by David. They were meant to be sung. They were meant to be prayed. They're actually poetry. And these 150 were chosen because they reflect every aspect of life. And so you've got all types of psalms. You've got psalms of lament, psalms of adoration, psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of wisdom. But you also have seven repentance psalms, and they're meant to teach us to repent. Uh, and each psalms have, have different purposes. And, and so the Benedictine orders, for example, monastic orders uh, that are Benedictine, they sing all 150 psalms every week. They pray them back. I mean, Patrick of Ireland read them every day daily and prayed them. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible also. And I, uh, you know, for 10 years, I, I prayed them every day, two to three times a day. Uh, now I don't do it quite as much, uh, but I was very, uh, when I first discovered them, uh, boy, I was just immersed and became a, a prayer manual for me, helping me express myself because I was so out of touch with my feelings and actually bring them back to God in prayer. And uh, so Psalm 51 uh, is 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 this is a psalm of repentance, but it's a psalm of brokenness. And it comes out of the story of David. Uh, he'd been a king at this point. He's probably age 40 to 50 years old. He's been amazing up to this point. He's been a shepherd, a warrior, a leader, a poet, a king, a singer. He's a writer. He's a politician. He's a worship leader. But for some, whatever reason, at this season of his life, he stops growing. And sin intrudes into his life on a scale that the only thing comparable is the sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. But what's so fascinating here is his failure and his repentance is, is recorded for us. And so the story of what happens, the background of this psalm is in 2 Samuel chapter 11, where David doesn't go into battle leading his troops like he should have. He gets out of God's path. He sees Bathsheba, a, a very beautiful woman from his rooftop. She's married to someone else. He sees her bathing, uh, and he goes and he sleeps with her, gets her pregnant. But rather than fall on his face before God and repent, he, he chooses a cover-up, and he chooses to lie. He sends for her husband. His name is Uriah. He's a good man. He lies to him. And he tries to get Uriah to sleep with his wife so the pregnancy will appear to be his and not David's, but it fails. He gets Uriah drunk. Uh, the husband sends him home. That doesn't. That fails as well. He finally murders Uriah, the husband, makes it look like an accident, gets him, puts him in the front line of battle. And uh, 
he dies. And so there's a funeral. I don't know if David attends the funeral. We don't know. But there's a mourning period. And then David marries Bathsheba. And at this point, over a year has passed. David's still leading worship. He's still leading the country. He's reading the Bible. He's praying. He's in the temple. But he has coveted. He's committed adultery. He's murdered liar. He's in rebellion against God. He's broken integrity with everybody around him. And finally, God sends him a prophet, to, uh, Nathan, and he gets found out. He's confronted. Uh, and, uh, you know, the prophet says, you are the man. And it's a great story to read in Second Samuel. But at this point, David does not kill Nathan. David's got the power to just kill that prophetic fellow Nathan and get rid of him, uh, which Saul and perhaps Solomon might have done, other kings. But he he responds and, and he allows himself to be broken. And he, in Psalm 51, he writes a, a song about it, his repentance. Uh, and it's, a, it's an account of how David got out of the pit after blowing up his life. And he's a, it's meant to be a model of repentance. It's a model of brokenness. Uh, and if you're listening to me today and you're saying, you know, I, I've done something stupid. I've blown up my life too. Well, the great news is no matter how much you've blown up your life, God can put it together and it can be a gift like David's is here. But all of us are sin- have sinned. All of us have failures. All of us have things in our life that we're embarrassed about. But there is a path, path through them. And uh, so before I take you to the psalm a bit, let, let me just ask you a question. It's a question we always ask uh, in Emotionally Healthy Leadership, and it's this. How did your family do asking forgiveness? How did your family do repentance? Uh, how does your culture do it? Uh, and I suspect for most of us, the answer is poorly. I mean, I remember, for example, my uh, I had an uncle that I, I, my uncle, one of my uncles and aunts, she was always humiliating her husband uh, as I was a kid growing up in front of the family. I mean, just just humiliating him, and he would just take it. And I used to think, my gosh, what is this? You know, and then I, then you know, my father finally told me, oh yeah, well, Red had a you know an affair, you know, he had an affair, and uh, blah blah blah, and and uh, as far as the his wife was concerned, he'll never be forgiven for it, and so uh, it just was, you know, for years uh, paying for it. And so I, I didn't see forgiveness given. I I didn't see healthy repentance modeled uh, in my culture. In fact, Italian-American culture, you know, we don't for, we don't forgive certain sins. And, you know, you're uh, there is no forgiveness. I used to think, you know, I know I'm going to hell and I'll, I'll never I'll never get through my sins. And this is before I became a Christian. And and uh so, so I, I never saw it modeled, and then it really wasn't modeled in the church as well after I came to Christ. And so, in fact, I, brokenness is so foreign uh, to, I would even say, the ch- church culture I was raised in. When I, when I first wrote uh, my first book, The Emotionally Healthy Church, and I, wrote the, I began with the story of uh, Jerry quitting the church and my own failure, basically, as a pastor uh, the first six, seven years and the pain of uh, my wife quitting the church. And I, I wrote, I, I realized how important it was to begin with my story before I got into all the theology of uh, why emotional health and spiritual maturity cannot be separated, that you can't be emotionally immature and consider yourself spiritually mature. And I, but before I got to all that stuff and all, all, all the topics, I realized I had to come clean with my own life, my own brokenness, and speak out of that honestly. So when I sent the draft of the book to the publisher, I got a, uh, a phone call back, and they said, do you have permission from your wife to write this story 
because we're afraid of a you know basically a lawsuit or something. I said what, <laughs> and uh, I had to you know put in writing uh, the fact of no no this is true and she's okay with me putting this on on paper. And it's funny it wasn't about her failures about my own failure, uh, but it was so unusual for a pastor in particular to write about such a uh, a failure of leadership that the publisher thought I needed written permission for it. Uh, so with that, let's just, so, so again, I think things have changed, uh, in the last 14 years and, and, uh, for sure. And there's definitely a, a shift in that, but let's just take a few minutes and, and look at, you know, Psalm 50, you know, 51 for a moment here and, uh, hold on. I have to get my Bible, which I left on the side. Uh, in, in, you know, Psalm 51, David, again, he, he, he writes with great clarity about, his uh, his prayer to God uh, for us to, to help us learn how do I live in this kind of brokenness and repentance? Uh, and so he begins with, you know, Lord, have mercy on me, O God. And he asks forgiveness right out. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. And he asks the Lord to wipe out and blot out his sins, you know, cleanse me. And what makes David a great man, a, God, a man after God's own heart, is regardless of what state he is in, uh, whether he is, again, suicidal, depressed, uh, excited, or in this case, he is just really, he's, he's on the floor in repentance and brokenness. He comes to God with where he's at. Uh, it's, it's it's what makes a man at the goals on heart. He's in touch with what's going on and he brings it to God uh, regardless. And he takes responsibility. He doesn't blame anybody. Uh, you know, well, I was exhausted when this happened, Lord, you know, she was bathing naked, really. She's partly to blame. You don't know the pressure I'm under. Uh, like all kings, I was carrying so much. But he just says, Lord, I, I know... Uh, against you and you only have I sinned. You know, I know my transgressions. He says, you know, against you and you only have I sinned. And, and, and to bring out this intense emotion, uh, you know, he uses certain Hebrew words Semitic, in Semitic language. And, and uh, you know, I get angry sometimes at reaping the consequences of my sin. Uh, and I end up lying and blaming. It's just so easy to do. I mean, it, it surrounds us. Everyone's blaming, you know, whether it's in sports. And I can think of a number of figures in sports. Uh, you know, from, you know, Lance Armstrong with the biking incident. I saw that movie Lies on Netflix. It was fascinating. Or the Olympics or baseball or politics. It's kind of, it's a given. Uh, in corporate fraud, you know, so common, uh, you know, in families. I don't have to apologize to my son or daughter. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm their parents. Uh, I'm allowed to lose it. Uh, but David's like, no, 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 I sinned. He, he doesn't blame. You know, blaming has been with us from the beginning of time. It's, it's just in us. You know, Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. Sarah blamed Hagar. Joseph's brothers blamed him. The Israelites blamed Moses. Moses blames God. Sarah blamed, Saul blamed David. I mean, when things don't go our way, go our way we even blame demonic powers, God, uh, anything. Schools, corporations, bosses, employees, you name it. And it comforts us for a while when we blame because it, it gives us the illusion that we're in control. But actually, it's the, it accomplishes the opposite. We, we're stripped of our God-given you know, power, and it, it, we end up helplessly stuck in immaturity. And uh, so David here just, just takes that full responsibility. It's so amazing. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think you know, over the years, we developed a um, uh, in our marriage uh, course over the years. Jerry led, Jerry led the marriage ministry for 17 years and at New Life Fellowship. And we've been working on marriage for you know, 22 years, 23 years. And, uh, 
at one point, we, we learned there's a big difference between saying, I'm sorry, versus will you forgive me? And so we created a, a structure uh, to help people ask for forgiveness. And I'll never forget the first time I wrote a letter uh, to Jerry asking forgiveness. And it was very hard to write. I, I had to write it and I had to feel it viscerally. And uh, But to say, not say, I'm sorry, but to move to will you forgive me, it was a massive difference of brokenness for me and of getting forgiveness. And to become a staple in our own discipleship with people is teaching them, how do I even ask forgiveness? If you've never uh, prayed or read the Book of Common Prayer uh, confession uh, that's used often in especially liturgical, high liturgical churches, but it's a great prayer. You can, you can Google it and find it, but it's something I, I love praying You know, weekly. I, I love churches that pray it every week, but it's this great prayer from the 1500s, most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, in what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We have, not, we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your son, you know, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will, walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. I just, it's a great prayer. It's worth Googling. Put it in your Bible. Pray it. Uh, but, but David doesn't ruminate. He doesn't, uh, uh, you know, I often, when I, when I find myself uh, caught, uh, embarrassed by my sin, uh, I, I ruminate and I want to, I want to go, I go into a hole and that goes back to my own, you know, history, family of origin of shame. Uh, I know it well. Some of you know it well or listening to me, but David doesn't go into a hole. He, he, he's broken, but he's able to say, God created me a clean heart. Oh God. Uh, and he asked for a miracle, something God alone can do. God created me a pure heart for new desires. He knows he can't restore himself. And he, and he used the word actually for creation. You know, God recreated me, Genesis 1, and, and me a pure heart. Uh, and you think, I can't change that much. You know, my rage, my lust, my bitterness, my apathy, and all those inner voices that we hear, you'll never change. Uh, you know, David is just amazing. He asks for it boldly. And, and listen, we believe in the resurrection, everybody. Uh, he is risen, and he's a God of heaven and earth. And, uh, you know, the first miracle is, that you're alive and I'm alive. Uh, Jesus died for our sins. We don't have to die for them. And when Nathan says to David, you know, you shall not die. That's the Lord to us. You shall not die. Jesus died for us. But the second miracle is a new birth and, and, and given by God. You know, we do our part. God does the rest. And then we ask the Lord. We ask him for miracles all the time. It's a theme of the New Testament. Uh, you know, it's not the way to pray all day and fast all day and read the Bible five hours a day or suffer enough. Uh, uh, God giving us miracles of, of a new heart, new desires uh, is not something we earn. It's something where Jesus invites us to ask, to ask. Even if our faith is weak, just a mustard seed's enough. Just asking itself is believing. And uh, David does that. He asks for it. I just love that. He doesn't just ask for it. Um, you know, he, he's believing for it. And, and then he, he actually... Uh, he, he's sharing his story of brokenness. He's not embarrassed by it. He he shares it publicly to be sung in in the church. Imagine while he's alive, uh, and throughout history. I mean, he had the power to expunge the story of his adultery and murder of Uriah. He could have gotten it cut out of the history books. He had the power. He doesn't. He makes sure it gets recorded for all of history. Could you imagine? That's leadership out of brokenness. And but this is the new family of Jesus. 
Um, and maybe you come from a family or a culture. You don't talk about your dirty laundry. It's like betrayal. You don't talk about your weaknesses and failure, but we're in the new family of Jesus. So this, this transcends culture and race and social class. Christians uh, are broken people. I love when David writes, uh, he, he, in verse 16 and 17 of the same Psalm 51, he, he writes these amazing verses. They're worth you know, memorizing, meditating on. He says, Lord, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. And the word sacrifice is religious activity. Lord, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Uh, God's not looking for religious people. He goes, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And when he says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, that word contrite is the word literally crushed. Uh, Again, think about it. It's not about um, uh, doing more. It's about being something. And broken and contrite people aren't, you know, we're not, not being, we're not judgmental. We're not easily offended. We're not concerned with impressing people. We're actually broken or crushed in spirit. And David's inside of true spirituality is brilliant. And he, again, he, uh, it, it's, it's amazing. He puts this in for us thousands of years later. And, but it's that it's being, broken and contrite or broken and crushed people are teachable and humble and approachable and safe and meek and vulnerable, can say, I was wrong and can let it go. And, uh, you know, it looks like admitting the truth sometimes or the worst will destroy you. Hear this, it is the way to resurrection in life. The way down is the way up. And yet out of this mess of Psalm 51 of David's life comes something beautiful. I mean, out of the murder, adultery, and death of a son, his son dies, that's born, comes a new son, Solomon. And God gives him a name, loved by the Lord. And uh, David returns to being a poet, king, warrior, and writer. Uh, there's, there's no more astounding picture of God than this one, where out of the worst explosion comes something good. And David did have a mission in life, and it was, you know, it was to bear the light of the Messiah. His family would save the world. Now, let me just take a moment and speak to those of you listening that you really may have blown up your life like David in, in, a, in that kind of a public way or significant way. And, uh, you know, this is, this is good news for you. And uh, you're not disqualified. David wasn't. And uh, God's way of saying, you know, if you sin, there, yes, there may be consequences. You may have even wounded yourself, but you're never on plan B once you submit yourself to the Lord because the Lord's sovereign and good. And the Lord says, I will weave your failures and work in a greater way than you ever imagined. Just remember, the Bible's filled with figures of, of people who have who failed. I mean, that, that's whether it's Moses' murder, or John Mark, who deserts Paul, Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, or Timothy's fears and anxiety and ulcers, or Hosea's bad marriage, or Jacob's lying, uh, or Naomi's, you know, who's a widow, Paul's a murderer, Jonah running away from God. Uh, Jeremiah's suicidal tendencies and depression, Elijah as well, Noah getting drunk. I mean, Solomon was a disaster. And yet God and Peter, I think it was just Peter's short fuse, but God using such broken people. And uh, so let me just close with just giving you two things to think about as we close this. And I just just go to Psalm 51, pray it back to God the next couple of days, you know, and uh, just let that become a, David's, a man after God's own heart, be a model for you as you think forward of your own life and what real leadership, great leadership is. But two things to just think about. Number one is that there is a theme in scripture, and I think of the life of Peter in particular, of failure, brokenness, commissioning. You know, you know, 
Peter has a great failure, but he, he can't be commissioned in John 21 to feed my sheep until he embraces his failure, which he, which he has multiple failures in the Gospels. But it's when he actually denies Jesus, the, the level of failure, he, he weeps, he sees it. Um, you know, Jesus is, is, is taking, he's innocent and Jesus is going to die, uh, yet he's innocent and Peter's guilty and he's going to live. I mean, but out of this great failure, he is broken. And thus, out of that brokenness, now he's commissioned. Uh, when we take leadership, uh, people who've been commissioned, who've not been broken, are dangerous. Could you imagine Paul not being broken or Peter not being broken with that kind of personality? And uh, so, you know, it's been said, I don't know who said it originally, but I know it's very true in that we learn almost nothing from our successes, but all learning and growth and maturity, it comes out of failures. And so again, what we think is the worst moment in our lives so often is our best. But the second little uh, thought I want to leave you with comes out of the rule of St. Benedict. And uh, I just, you know, it's, I, I picked it off the shelf and was reading uh, more of it today. It's the rule of St. Benedict was, was written in the, um, you know, 500s. It is the most famous monastic rule uh, in Western Christendom. Uh, it's followed by tens of thousands of monks and uh, in, in the Western church, uh, and it, it, it's one of the staples of Western culture, but it's a powerful, tremendous uh, uh, m- m- rule of life. And, and uh, I spent years, uh, you know, doing Lectio Divina on it, and, and so I still read it periodically, and uh, it's got so much wisdom in it, although it's a different time in history, and so you got to overlook some of the cultural stuff going in there, but there is some genius. In fact, I, as I reread it today, I said, I've got to do a podcast on the you know, lessons for leadership from the from the rule of St. Benedict. It's so, so good. Uh, but he's got in there a ladder of humility. And uh, it's actually 12 steps to climb that to, for, for, for spiritual maturity. Uh, and now again, any step, any of this can be abused. That's why emotional health is so critical. But without going into great detail, he's got these 12 steps. And, and uh, but I'm just going to mention a couple that I thought were so important because could you imagine a bookshelf on growing in humility, uh, basically growing in brokenness? And he, he's trying to break it down into, into steps. Uh, it's not the kind of thing we gravitate to in our own reading. Uh, it's not going to be a bestseller. Uh, but yet it's so interesting how you look at church history, uh, the global church, different streams of the church. You get to see how the Western, our Western church, our Western way of doing following Jesus uh, can be so uh, what's the word, uh, encapsulated in a culture, in a time in history that we're missing so much of the breadth and richness of how God has moved in the family of Jesus over the last 2,000 years around the world. But he talks about some of the steps and, and for example, of, of growing or climbing this ladder of humility. I want to invite you to do it with me. Things like you're constantly surrendering your will to God's will. And uh, as, a, as a level of brokenness, because always aware that my will is twisted and, and I so easily want to I end up going my own way. He talks about things like being willing to be subject to the direction of other people. And again, in our case, your case, that may be being under a boss or taking direction from uh, someone in leadership. They don't have to be in control. You can give up your arrogance and being all powerful. And it, I'm open to accepting the will of God coming through people who are also weak. Uh, and so monks, as, as some of you may know, take a vow of obedience to the abbots. And uh, for him, that's part of the, the way God breaks us, 
boy, that's, that's worth talking about. He talks about patience to accept the difficulties of others, radical honesty to confront yourself uh, about your faults and weaknesses uh, on a daily basis, and uh, deeply being, being deeply aware of one of the steps of that I'm the chief of all sinners. Uh, and I love the one he talks about, uh, speaking less. Uh, it's not giving people a silent treatment or being passive-aggressive. Uh, it's interesting. It's, it's, for him, it's the 11th of 12 steps. Uh, it's the outcome of a life of, of wisdom and brokenness. And, and he, he writes this, the wise are known for their few words. It's fascinating, isn't it? The wise are known for their few words. Here I am talking a lot of words on a podcast. In other words, he's saying we shouldn't spend our lives telling people how to live theirs. We're soft in our speech. We're not harsh, uh, but we're careful with our words. The wise are known for their few words. And then obviously it ends with some kind of a, you know, he talks about transformation of the love of God, no haughtiness or distancing or sarcasm or put downs or no airs of unimportance. You embody brokenness, embody humility. We embrace our limits and those of others. We manifest humility to all those we're around. We're fully aware of how fragile we are, that life can change in a nanosecond and we're under no illusions. And we're at home, the fact that we rely on the mercy of God alone and aware of God's love that's so penetrating. And uh, we love ourselves, yes, because God loves us. So we want to grow into mothers and fathers of the faith. We so desperately need mothers and fathers of the faith uh, in the church today, but that's a slow process. And But the, the, the way you're going to get there and the way I'm going to continue to grow into it myself is embracing and not running from brokenness uh, and choosing the path of David, uh, one of a life of you know, as Luther said, all of life is one of repentance, of coming to God. And uh, so as I enter my own brokenness and failures and weakness, as I do that and as you do that, we can enter anybody's. So again, let me invite you to join us at emotionallyhealthy.org uh, and learn more about what does it mean to create a culture at your uh, ministry, at your workplace, and your family, a, a culture of weakness and approachability and vulnerability. Uh, we start with ourselves. And uh, so may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you today, uh, wherever you may be driving in your car. And I look forward to seeing you again. So God bless you. And you have a great day. And again, join us at emotionallyheather.org for this great journey of broken leadership. God bless you. You have a great day.